Welcome to Under Two Capes. I'm Jared, and we're here with a special guest, Wes from Thinking Critical. Wes, thank you for coming on to Under Two Capes. Well, thanks for having me, Jared. Really appreciate it. Love talking comic books and really excited about this. It's a fun topic to talk about. So anyway, so typically whenever I have a new guest, I have a list of questions I normally ask them to like break the ice. So let's get into those. What got you into comics, man? Interesting. So I think the first time I ever received a comic, I was in the hospital because I almost ripped my arm off. Ouch. And my one of my mother's friends brought me uh, some a couple of Iron Man's and a couple of Spider-Man comics, but it didn't really take. So I was aware of comic books. Obviously, I'd seen some movies and whatnot. But while I was in the military, you know, I'm retired uh, Air Force. I Thank was you in for your service over 20 years. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, a lot of my friends always were always kind of reading comic books or whatever. So I was, I had a one friend specifically. He was in the Navy. His name was uh, Robert, but we all called him Shazam. And he was bringing <laughs> these these graphic novels. I started reading them. I just kind of got into it that way. And then, you know, I was into the movies and everything. And it turned out the comic stories were much more interesting. So I kind of started going back in there. And I just kind of got hooked. That's good. With me, it was also kind of in the hospital because I was, like, getting an IV drip, like a three-hour IV drip for, like, a long time ago and then they had lot like a tape of the old justice League unlimited cartoon so i was just watching that on repeat Very i was like nice. oh this is so cool <laughs> so let me ask you this w which one do you prefer dc or marvel uh, that one's easy i'm much more of a dc fan i'm much more of a, a hopeful optimistic person although everyone thinks i'm super duper cynical but in my heart i'm an optimist and DC traditionally has a much more hopeful outlook as far as their stories and their heroes. So I agree I'm with you. much more of a DC guy. Me too. I'm much more of a DC guy for that reason. And plus, I'm always a fan of like Greek myth. And the Justice League seemed to me like the closest equivalent to like the, the traditional Greek gods. Absolutely. Yeah. DC heroes much more godlike as far as their power levels and uh, kind of more aspirational than some of the Marvel heroes, which are more grounded. Yeah. I got into an argument with someone because they're like, anyone that thinks Superman's a god isn't really a Superman fan. I'm like, DC literally calls him, uh, markets himself as gods among men. So I don't know what you're talking about, dude. Well, yeah, he's clearly, I don't want to, he's not like a stand-in for Jesus. Obviously, he's created, created by a couple of Jewish men, but he's like a messiotic kind of character. So that comes from someplace else that has a great deal of power that everyone from the world can learn from the way he treats people and everything. Absolutely. Exactly. And Wonder Woman's father, depending on the, the continuity, is Zeus. So I don't know what you're talking about here. <laughs> favorite superhero Absolutely. and why? So my favorite superhero is Exo Manowar from Valiant Comics. Huh. So... I was reading comics. I've been reading comics for, for quite a while. This is actually a pretty personal story. And I had just retired from the military. And I had I, I live in the Philippines. This is where my wife and my very young son were. So I'd retired and I'd come here. And, he, you know, he was, uh, he, was, he was a little guy. And it was a very difficult transition. Obviously, I'd been in the military for 20 years. And I uh, had been work work essentially since I was like 15 years old. It was, it was a big change. And obviously... You know, my wife and my son had their routines and everything, and it was I was finding it very difficult to get in there. And I had uh, my comicsology account, and a friend of mine had suggested that I read Exo Man of War, and I had I had bought the first three Robert Venditti Exo Man of War 
volumes. I think there was a bundle, so it was, it was on sale. And um, we were in the hospital because my son had, had caught pneumonia, and my wife and son were sleeping. I ended up reading all three of them just as soon as I opened it. And when my my wife woke up, I was like, I couldn't stop telling her. But I was like, you got to read this story. I was like, this is amazing. I just like fell in love with the character, the way that uh, Robert Venditti had written it, and um, you know. I am a Christian. It, I, I consider that first three volumes of Exodus of Manowar to be like the best retelling or modern telling of Exodus that you'll ever read. It's like a sci-fi retelling of, of the Exodus story. And it just, uh, it had me hooked. And Robert and Diddy, you know, he's my favorite writer. He, it's just a, such a wonderful story. And then Matt Kent took over for the character after that with the Valiant Comics reboot. And in Matt Kent's right, right there with Robert and Diddy as far as quality. That was it. That's, that's my guy. That's awesome. I agree that that Ben Diddy is like one of the top tier comic writers. I have a few of his stuff when he did DC, and it's like I'm always like, wow, that 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 is some killer stuff. Yeah, I was really lucky. He actually came on my channel uh, really? maybe three weeks ago, something like that. We got I got to talk to him for like an hour and ask him all my questions about EXO. I couldn't believe it. It was like a dream come true. <laughs> That's awesome. Favorite comic event. Probably Blackest Night. Yes. I, I really like DC. I'm an enormous Green Lantern fan. Jeff Johns is pretty much my favorite writer. I believe that's Ivan Rice is on the art. It, uh, it is a very dark story. But in the end, it's, it's very optimistic and hopeful. feels like it's in line with what DC comics do. And uh, I really like the expansion of the Green Lantern lore and the inclusion of the, the other Green Lantern uh, core or the Lantern cores that are out there. And I, I just remember reading that event and getting to the moment when you see what what Lantern cores like Superman's in and, yeah, and who's, so uh, you know, Scarecrow and Wonder Woman and all these wonderful characters in the DC universes. And you see how they're kind of, they fill out that Lantern core as they're going to their final battle. And I was like, this is great. Plus, I, I really like Firestorm. It's like one of yeah, those he was cool. really underrated characters. And he, he gets a good role in that, that event. Love you need it. a Firestorm movie. But anyway, yeah, I yes. love Jeff Johns' Green Lantern because he basically made DC version of Star Wars. So I was like, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's 100% Star Wars, where like Hal Jordan is probably the closest equivalent to Luke Skywalker. Right. Even the, the way he does it with, uh, you know, Rebirth, you know, Sinestro War, mm -hmm. then you kind of get the Blackest Night. And uh, yeah, they, they lose yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, the first volume of his, his Green Lantern run. They started collecting them into individual books. And I'm like, when I was reading it, I'm like, why can't DC write like this now? <laughs> I got, they got I, a couple I, of guys. They have a couple of good ones, but I, I don't read any new stuff, really. The newest thing I read was Endless uh, Winter. But it's because it's like, when you compare the new stuff to what happened like pre-2015, it doesn't compare. You're right. There's a there's a story here or there. I still think Jeff Johns' Doomsday Clock will be oh, remembered yes. quite fondly. Although I know people that love Watchmen think it's an abomination because you shouldn't match mesh the Uniboard verses. But really, that whole story you know, uses the Watchmen. And it does incorporate them in the universe, and I think DC wanted that. But really, Jeff Johns is writing a love letter to Superman. And very powerful stuff there at the end when when Doctor Manhattan finally realizes what Superman means to the universe. And, you know, he's kind of the, the alpha point, no matter when Superman arrives in the DC universe, that is when DC is, you know, gods among men. 
that's what it kind of begins. And I, I really love what he had to say about Superman in that one. I agree with you on that one. What I liked about Doomsday Clock is how they sort of reworked into the multiverse. So like the New 52 had its own Earth. So it's like, if you like the New 52, it's just a new Earth. Because that was my era where I really got into comic books. So it kind of was a slap in the face when DC Wholesale just said, not canon anymore. It's it's weird. They they tend to slap a lot of people in the face. You know, when they go to New 52, there's a lot of changes uh, where they start truncating the timeline. It's like, okay, you know, Batman had three Robins in, in four years. This doesn't make sense. And, so I, a lot of longtime DC traditionalists would be like, well, that was a slap to the face. I could see it. They should stop with the crisis stuff. They really should. Well, well, we know they're not doing it because they have dark crisis coming up. So, All Absolutely. Right. And, That's, and, uh, last, and last question. What inspired you to start your YouTube channel? Well, it's because I was retired. You know, I'm here in the Philippines everybody for the most part speaks English here and whatnot but there's not a lot of job opportunities and like I said I've been working since I was 15 and you know I was only 39 I wasn't like a, a real old man at the time and I was um I guess I was 40 but I was talking to my wife I was like hey, you know I really enjoy these comic books I have some stuff to say I I think I would like to maybe start a channel up and you know I'll do a video or two a week she's like all right as long as it doesn't take up too much time <laughs> well that's that's long we got i'm doing like one or, or at least two videos a day now but um i don't know i just i really like the creative aspects of it i really do mm -hmm. like creating stuff i do like communicating and there's not a whole lot of comic book readers here where i'm at you know there's no comic shops in the philippines outside of manila and i'm not in manila so if i want to have a, a conversation in a community to talk about comic books like i kind of needed to start my own thing up and it, it Turned out I was really interested in it, and it was a lot of, it's just really fulfilling. So I'm glad I did it, and I'm glad she said yes. That's, that's great. So now I have one more bonus question, and it's a debate that's been going on this show for, like, a long time. Who makes more sense for Wonder Woman to be with, Superman or Batman? Oh, man. I think I prescribe to the opposites attract theory more than than having the exact same things you know like polar opposites mm -hmm. when you when you put the poles together they automatically kind of push away like i'm pretty i'm pretty silly i like to goof around a lot my my wife's a little bit more serious i think if she was goofy and 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 uh, played around like me it wouldn't be as much of fun of marriage so i would go with Batman just because oh, it would boy. be a better match and they would they would be able to elevate each other as people whereas i think Superman and wonder Woman, when you get them together it's who wants to see the two perfect people together? They're never going to be able to help each other. I will say, though, Charles Soule and, uh, did, did that kind of well in the Superman Wonder Woman series in the new 52. We basically played off as they're not as similar as people seem to think. Like, she's a warrior, so she's okay with killing people. Superman, obviously, is not, except yeah, when you deal with, with Zack Snyder. Woman's history, is she a warrior? She's supposed to come at peace. She's almost like an emissary of peace. But when she has to be where she is. Yeah, but it, the, the point is that there's a legit a line where she goes to Superman. There's a reason why my list of supervillains isn't as big as yours or Bruce's, because I kill them. And Superman's like, okay. That's, uh, that feels a little out of place for what That's probably why people didn't like to do 15-2 as much. <laughs> That's probably. 
He's got Superman on the motorcycle with a mullet. You're like, what? Yeah. I but, wasn't a big fan of the super mullet. <laughs> no, no. But any man would, would be honored to for a woman like uh, Diana Prince to to consider going on a date with him. So I, I think you probably could go either way. But it's, it's Steve Trevor, right? What are we talking about? I was, I'm not a big fan of Steve Trevor, so. <laughs> hey, we've all got the, the couple that we hang out with, and you like one of them more than the other. Like, exactly. What are you doing with that guy? Exactly. All right, so moving on. Obviously, like I mentioned before, DC announces Dark Crisis. Now, to start off, do you think they're going to reboot like that they did at, say, Crisis on Infinite Earths or, or, or even Flashpoint? Because technically, I mean, I know Flashpoint is not necessarily a crisis but you can kind of count it as a crisis but the point is do you think dc is actually going to do a complete reboot no no i yeah, do not exactly but i do think they are going to reboot a lot of aspects i think it's going to be much more in line with what we just got with dark knight's death metal with scott snyder obviously joshua williamson is kind of like a snyder protege they work together a lot and i i believe uh you know scott snyder has been a huge influence on on joshua williamson who's writing Dark Crisis seems to be the guy at DC Comics now. So they're not going to say it's a reboot and it's not going to be a, you know, all, you know, we're resetting everything and all, there's all new rules, but it is going to have major, major impacts. You know, when we get to the end of Dark Knight's Death Metal, which they said wasn't a crisis, I'll disagree with that okay. one. They said it was the anti-crisis. You know, we're not rebooting, but we went right into Future State and out of that we got Infinite Frontier and it's certainly a, a brand new direction for a lot of the heroes and they reintroduced some heroes that that we had lost along the way. I think it'll be much the same. I imagine we're going to get a Batman reboot back to number one. We're well over 100 issues now. Uh, there's a lot of characters that, quite frankly, need rebooting. DC needs to do something with their universe. They can't really sell any character outside of Batman right now. That is an enormous exactly. problem. Flash should be a best-selling, better-selling character. Justice League should be the, one of the best-selling team Superman. books out there. Wonder Woman, Superman should all be in there. And they probably need to do something. So I don't think it'll be a New 52 style, Rebirth style, Crisis on Infinite Earth style, where it's at this moment, everything changes. But I do think it'll be a lot of changes. And they think they're going to look for new directions. Hopefully, my big hope, and this is what DC really needs, they need to bring in some of the, the established talent back. They would mm -hmm. far too many uh, unproven comic creators to come in and i yeah. think it's really screwed up their universe because they didn't really know what they were doing as far as the characters and the universe that they were working in and, and it turned off a lot of people so they need a lot of change they, they definitely need a lot of change because let's face it at this point the, first off the continuity is a mess so they definitely need some type of cleanup and there's no editing there you can tell that the current editors are either overworked or don't know what they're doing because the whole thing is a mess I think it's uh, probably a little bit of both. We do know that they had the the, the two bloodbaths, you know, after the pandemic, where you know they made a lot of changes. They cut out a lot of the. It wasn't just the editorial staff, which was cut to the bone, and we've seen other editors that they decided to keep that have left on their own volition to go look for new opportunities. So it's only gotten worse. But they lost a lot, a lot of of old school comic book people that had been in the industry for decades. You know, hundreds hundreds of years of experience were lost when they got rid of all those executives and they brought in Daniel Cherry the third to be the new senior vice president and, and general manager, a new position. You know, Bob Harris, love him or hate him, he he knew the comic book industry. You know, uh, Bobby Chase was a, a huge loss, and they lost a bunch of them. They probably, I think it was like over a dozen. 
And then there's also been a couple of other people that have been at DC Comics for like 20, 30 years that also left for, for new opportunities afterwards because I think they saw the writing on the wall that there are big changes coming to DC with this Warner Brothers merger with Discovery. And they said, you know what? I just dealt with this with AT&T. It wasn't very pleasant. I don't think I want to do it again. Yeah, exactly. It's like I got in and like the, the, the age of Jason Faybaugh, Jeff Johns, like a pun intended, the golden age of DC. And then I see what they're putting out now, and I'm like, where's Faybach? Well, they wouldn't return his, his emails. He, he talked about it in an interview where he and Jeff Johnson went to DC and said, we have an, an idea for a sequel to Batman 3 Jokers. When Batman 3 Jokers came out, it was three issues, and each one of them shipped over 300,000 copies. That is a lot of copies, and those weren't $4 comics. Those were like 6 or $7 comics. They didn't get back to him. So he had to go find other opportunities. That's how, that's kind of how messed up DC comics are right now. You know, they're, they're reaching out saying we have this story that you're going to make millions of dollars on. And they just didn't have the time. Exactly. It's, it's like, see, I think that the problem with like DC and like a lot of other comic books, but, but particularly DC, and I, I always tell this to people, the problem is that they really only have a plan for Batman. That's why they only do, that they mostly do Batman books. It's like, let me put it this way. Superman started their entire company and like him or hate him, I hate him. Bendis actually had some, the, the makings of some plan. Granted, it was a really not so good plan, but uh, judging by a Superman run, but it was like, at least he was doing something with the character for once. He certainly, he certainly had a plan that he was going through and, Really, if you look at the stuff, what he was doing with Legion of Superheroes, the, the idea behind it was actually really cool. It's just the execution was really terrible because he had to throw in this young or aged up version of John Kent that he wanted to go in there. And I, I think that kind of turned people off. But um, I think a lot of his ideas for Superman were just terrible. They weren't oh Superman God. ideas with the aging up of John Kent insinuating that Lois Lane was kind of cheating on, on uh, Clark Kent, even portraying you know, Clark Kent as kind of an absentee father letting his psychotic grandpa take his kid away. Well, yes. I can't do nothing about it. Oh, my wife's going to go too? I'm not going to stop him. And it's like, you just did years of character development of Clark Kent as the father to John Kent with, with Peter Tomasi and Dan Jerkins. It was beautiful and it was just kind of all thrown out the window because, you know, it's, it's Brian Michael Bendis. He's, he's got to put a stamp on the character. So there are cases where, where Bendis has good ideas. It's just his execution isn't very good right now. And in the case of Superman, he had terrible ideas and terrible execution. It kind of killed the series. But, you know, up until then, Superman was still in the top 25 as sellers, even through, you know, the first year of Bendis' run. So there was, there was staying power and selling power behind Superman. Yeah, and it's, it's just really sad that DC doesn't seem to want to do anything with Superman besides kill him with the Justice League, which they already told us that the Justice League is coming back, surprising no one. Well, and they're doing ongoings for all the, the heroes while the Justice League are dead. You know, Batman's still going to have his titles. Superman's still going to be on War World. Uh, you know, Arthur Curry's still going to be handing the mantle over to, to Jackson Hyde. Wonder Woman's still going to be doing whatever Wonder Woman does. I'm not reading the, uh, the Clunrad series, but it, it makes everything so meaningless. There's no impact. And that's why, I mean, that's what makes the shared superhero universe really cool is that when something happens, it's felt 
throughout the line. And it, it, that makes it more impactful. And like, wow, look how big this is. Superman died. You know, they're having his funeral. There's going to be no Superman comics for three months. And, you know, look at what happened to the Justice League and all that. And then you see this half-hearted attempt. Like, well, we got the Omniverse. Well, congratulations, you got the Omniverse. But you don't have a shared superhero universe that's functional right now. And that's, you know... Even Batman, you, you're like, well, they only have plans for Batman. They have their plan for Batman is to release a lot of Batman and put the best writers and, and artists that they can on it. But it's not like Batman's just like really this tightly held continuity right now. They're, they're all over the place with that character. And what's kind of funny is that DC seems to really be leaning into that like stereotype that like if they for some reason stop publishing Batman, comic book shops would shut down because most of what DC puts out is Batman. It wasn't really like that until maybe within the last six months where there, you know, there was always a lot of Batman, like mm -hmm. too much Batman maybe. But now you're talking 50% of all DC comics either star Batman, have him in a team book, or one of his, you know, featured characters in, in his title, whether it be a rogue or, or, or one of his robins or whatever, is leading the book itself. That's a, that's a lot of overexposure, but they are right. Batman sells. He's, he's a proven seller. And if you had no ideas, you had no direction for a universe, and you had a meeting, and you wanted to be not stupid, you say, why don't we just do a lot of Batman? You'd probably be right. But I think what DC needs to do is really start, like, hammering and, like, putting their best talent on, on like, their main books, like we said before. Like, you need to have a, a good Superman book. You really need to have a good Wonder Woman book because what's sad about Wonder Woman is that ever since the movie, she's, like, this world-renowned character. But her comics, they're kind of well-known, but not really, like, the ones people talk about on the level of, like, a Batman, even though they should because she's their, like, top female superhero. And she, and she did sell, but when's the last time they put a big-name writer on Wonder Woman? Greg Rucka, maybe? Is Greg yeah, Rucka a big-name writer? I guess at the time he was kind of big, but, you know, and even in Rebirth, when they were putting a lot of their top talent on, on the main characters, you know, Williamson was on Flash, you know, we had Dan Abnett on, on Aquaman, not a huge seller, but a really reliable uh, creator, Venditti on, on Green Lantern, Tomasi and Jurgen was on, on, um, on Superman, Tom King at the time was a hot name, he was on Batman. And it's James Robinson, who I think is a really good writer, but probably his notoriety probably didn't warrant him being on the third most important character in the universe. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's really sad because she is a great character when you look at her. But once again, you can have a fantastic character, but you just need the right writer to really like flesh out the character. Well, they need to know what they want to do with Wonder Woman. Who yeah, do they want Wonder Woman to be? Because they keep rebooting the character every four or five years. They should just stick with the George Perez stuff. That's the best known run. It's the most beloved Wonder Woman run that there is. George Perez is one of the greatest uh, writers, artists in, in the history of comic books. And he laid a foundation for a wonderful Wonder Woman character that people still love to this day. That should be the foundation of the character, but they continuously have to do something and, and tinker with the character. And she's not super bad. She, she's not Batman, unfortunately. The sales have never quite been up to their level. And you can't just keep tinkering with the character because people kind of walk away. People don't have, there aren't as many people that have those complete Superman or Wonder Woman runs like they do Superman and Batman. Exactly. Like there are people that cannot, there are more people that cannot give up Superman or Batman than Wonder Woman, unfortunately. That's true. Now, speaking of George Perez, 
Do you think that they're going to increase the reprint run of JLA Avengers if it sells well? Because I'm really hoping they, they start doing more of that JLA Avengers. The, if it sells well, it's gonna it probably already sold out. Yeah, the pre-orders, I, I there's no way the pre-orders didn't exceed the, the initial print run oh, yeah. by an order of magnitude of, of 10, maybe 15 times. Yeah. Do I think they'll increase it? They're not really making any money off of it. You know, the money is all going to the Hero Initiative, which was something that George Perez has always supported, you know, which is which is a great cause. So with a company, you know, what's the incentive to do it? So they, for good PR, they could use the good PR. You know, I think they should. Because George Perez has, has meant uh, enough to DC and Marvel and, and the comic book fandom that they should put it out there. Yeah, I, I, I have doubts that they will, but they should. Yeah. Well, let me put this way. I've, like, given up on, like, hoping that DC and Marvel will do what they should do because the past, like, couple of years, even the past two years, they've been doing a lot of stuff that I'm like, oh, that's a bad idea. Marvel's interesting. They kind of got back to... They so they did some things that they should have done. You know, mm -hmm. when Cebulski took over, a lot of their main heroes were gone. He brought back... Bruce Banner is Hulk. He brought back Tony Stark as Iron Man. He brought back Steve Rogers as Captain America. So he did make some some good choices. I, I'll disagree with their creative choices with what yeah. they're doing, but at least he did stabilize the, the universe, and I think they are reaping the rewards to a degree for at least doing that and recognizing you know who their best-selling characters are right now, but uh, I don't know. Marvel is weird. Yeah. DC's weirder to me, though, because I love yeah. it more, but Marvel's funny. The funny thing about DC, and I see so many people talk about right now, is like uh, from Future State and on, they seem to be going the all new, all different route, which is kind of funny because people are always saying that didn't work well for Marvel last time. There were a couple of instances where, where um, initially, a lot of times these things do work out. When I say initially, we're talking for the few, first few issues. But then if the quality isn't there, if the story isn't, isn't intriguing, you don't really capture people. I think a lot of the problem with, with a lot of these changes that they do, the way they execute it, is they don't find the right creator. They want they have the idea, mm -hmm. and then they want to cast a writer to the idea rather than finding the writer that's going to really execute the idea to its fullest. So you, you want to make these changes, but you don't have, have the creative talent, the chops to really back it up. DC's making the exact same mistake, but, you know, these mantle swaps are hard to sell long term we've even seen a character as beloved as dick grayson has taken over as batman before it was really good the great morrison batman and robin with dick grayson as batman and damian wayne as robin is like fantastic if you've ever read that go check it out like, that's really good stuff but even then they had to go back to bruce wayne and everybody loves dick grayson yeah everyone loves that there's also the incidences when like dc will like put on a writer on a book like tom taylor on the new superman book and then it completely blows up in their faces because if they put him on there and it's like okay so he, he wrote injustice he wrote like dc's he wrote some really good books they put him on this character and then yeah it it, it sells for like a little while like the first issue and the issue w where jonathan kent comes out as gay but then it just completely torpedoes well the problem with that one is i I think Tom Taylor has a lot of potential, and he could definitely execute it at a really high level. If you read Deceased, that's a really good comic book. Like he, he's he's uh, giving you fantastic character moments in the DC Universe. Oh, yeah. 
But his story for this John Kent Superman is really, really bad. And it was bad before they announced that he was coming out. You know, I did reviews on an issue one. I was like, feels like he's about to become a tyrant. And then when we get issue two, it was like, man, this thing is like, I don't know what they were thinking. You can't come out of the gate with without quality. But you can see in the interviews that Tom Taylor had when he thought about what he wanted to do with, with John Kent as Superman, he had an agenda going in, and that was to turn Superman gay. Mm-hmm. He didn't go in with the agenda to tell the best story possible to elevate the character of John Kent into Superman. Yeah. So, so he, instead of, of getting, getting to that point and maybe like, okay, well now let's do this reveal, but we've got a quality story that, that people are going to be buying into, he had to jump right into that. And it just, it doesn't work very well. You know, his Nightwing series is doing much better. The sales are pretty good. He's thrown a couple of Tom King or Tom Taylor isms in there that are off-putting. But for the most part, it's, it's a pretty okay Nightwing story. It just isn't going anywhere. So I, I think he came in with the wrong wrong mindset. And I don't think yeah. he put story first. And that's why it didn't work. That's my problem with like a lot of what mainstream comics is doing is that they put agenda first over good stories. Because you could still have like, diversity and have fantastic storylines like well let me give an example my favorite green lantern besides how john stewart because i grew up on the justice league anime cartoon is jessica cruz when they brought her in in the new 52 it was an interesting idea that she's an agoraphobic but she's still chosen to be a green lantern that's a fantastic storyline and what they do what i find like back then they didn't make the characteristic all of what that character is. Now they're doing that. It's like for like the longest time, what was the news articles that Jonathan, uh, that Superman is gay or or, mm-hmm. or bi. We're back like this way. No one calls Jessica Cruz the Latina Green Lantern. They just call her Green Lantern. Well, where, yeah, but who created Jessica Cruz? Yeah, Jeff Jones. That's why. That's why. Again, this is one of the best fantastic. writers out there because he came Not through gonna... and he said, "This is the character that I want to use." This is what I want to do with them. And this is what I'm going to demonstrate with the story. And when you do that, you flesh out the character and, and people respond to them. I personally like Jessica Cruz a lot as well. She's definitely my top three lanterns because it's an interesting concept. And it was executed at a high enough level for the most part that you kind of grow to uh, attach to the character. I think they're, they've messed up a little bit here and there lately. But no, Jessica Cruz is an amazing character. Yeah. Uh, th- that's actually a question I have for you now. Who is your favorite Green Lantern? Hal Jordan. Oh, of course. Because he's the greatest Green Lantern. Exactly. They literally call him the greatest Green Lantern. So I'm like, all right. Yeah. There you go. I like the idea. You know, I was in, I was in the military. I was in the Air Force. I like the idea that he he watched his father, uh, you know, a test pilot, die mm-hmm. doing that. And the amount of will it would take would take to overcome those fears and the memory of that and get in the cockpit yourself and go and do it, I think is emblematic of what a Green Lantern is. I like that he's cocky. I, I think it's cool that he doesn't quite fit in there. But at the core of who he is and what you've seen him do, and that's always the most important part, show, don't, don't tell. They've shown you what he's overcome, the parts that are in his past, and what he would have to overcome. You can imagine it to get in that cockpit, become a, a pilot himself. Exactly. Is, is is something that you can relate to. You're like, wow, but that would take a tremendous amount of will. There's a, an issue Robert Venditti wrote in his How Jordan the Green Lantern Corps, and he's having a bit of self-doubt. And he's got a construct with a, you know, he's got a jet because you know, he was in the mm-hmm. Air Force. 
and he doesn't think he can go fast enough. And then all of a sudden, his father is in the cockpit with him, and he's his uh, his his wingman. He's behind him, like talking him through. I was like, it's such a good character, man. That's why Robert Diddy's the best. Yeah, like he gets the character, and you get moments like that. And even he made Guy Gardner likable. Yeah. Guy Gardner's an acquired taste. I, I understand. But yeah, I, I agree with 100% what I love about Hal Jordan. Plus, I love a good redemption story. And it's like in Jeff John's Green Lantern. It's it's pretty, for like the first like volume or so, it's him making up for being parallax and killing everyone. I mean, even when he finds those lanterns that, that he supposedly killed and, and that were alive, I, I think they were like called the Honor Guard or, or mm -hmm. something. And then he, even they attack him because they think he's still parallax. Yeah, and, and he's specifically told right at the beginning, we will never trust you again. Like, you can't do this ever, ever again. And he went and forged a Green Lantern ring out of his own pure will. No, I'm like, he's the only one that's that. If that isn't Green Lantern, I don't know what's my favorite yeah, line. That's character defining stuff. My favorite scene from that is where he's talking to Batman, and then Batman's like, we're not done, Jordan, and then Hal Jordan just punches Batman, and how, and then uh, Guy Gardner's like, I've been waiting my entire life for this. Yeah, you played out on, you're paying off a lot of multiple things, you know, because Batman's, you know, knocked out of uh, Guy Gardner a couple times. He deserved it. Yeah. But yeah, I bet I he did, like, see that happen. That was <laughs> Finally so someone great. punched Batman. He deserves it. He's needed it for 20 years. That is so good. Yeah, yeah. So go, come back to that. So which writer would you say, let me put it this way, if you had, like, one writer that you could assign for, like, say, uh, Superman, that 100% understands the character, who would that be? The one writer that really understands Superman. So that's that's an interesting question. You know, I, I'm almost tempted to, to go with John Byrne. I really think his Man of Steel really redefines the character. And, you know, before that, Clark Kent himself was presented as this, like, penciled neck geek. And mm -hmm. you're like, why would Lois Lane ever like this guy? And he re redefined it to where Clark Kent is the hero and Superman is the persona. Like, he's mm -hmm. not, you know, he's not that kind of Weasley uh, doofus that he was kind of portrayed as before. The best portrayal of that, in my opinion, is actually from, I think it's Kurt Busiek and Jeff Johns in Superman Up, Up, and Away when, when Clark Kent's depowered. I've talked about this one on the channel. I definitely recommend the story if you can go get it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's currently collected. It's collected, but it's not currently in print. But he doesn't have his powers, and without the necessity of Clark Kent being the alter ego and being a persona that you could understand why he wouldn't be there when, when the sky is falling and Superman could be there. He becomes the best reporter, you know, at the paper, you know, even eclipses Lois Lane herself. And he's out there fighting for justice and fighting for neighborhoods and saving people left and right. And there's this really awesome moment. They're on a, a rooftop. He, he puts himself in a terrible position and uh, I think it's Hawk Girl, and um, is it Kyle Rayner? It's one of the Green Lanterns. It might be actually Hal Jordan. They go in there and save him. They put him on a rooftop, and the Green Lantern tells Clark, they said, listen, we know you don't have your powers as Superman anymore, but you're still a hero, and we have a, a ring waiting for you if you're willing to accept it. Mm. And he puts the ring on, and he, you know, he takes on his Green Lantern persona, and he starts flying. And he's still Clark Kent. He doesn't turn into a green version of Superman. He's still got the glasses on. He's still got his sweatshirt from mm. college. And it's it really 
to me gets to the heart that Clark Kent is the hero. And the reason he's a hero isn't because he's from Krypton. It's not because he can fly. It's not because he's so powerful. It's because he landed in, in the one place in the world in that small farm in Kansas and was raised by two parents that showed him an enormous amount of love and showed him what it was like to be a great person. And he, he took that to heart. And that's how he lives his life, you know, as a human, as Clark Kent. And that's why he's a hero. And, and Superman, you know, obviously, because he can fly and he's so powerful, he's a ca capable of doing so much more. But even without those, he would still be saving people. Exactly. I, th that's what, what I think is very important to understand about Superman is that he wasn't raised as Superman. He was raised as Clark Kent. He was raised as a human first. And that's what I think is interesting when you look at like a storyline like Injustice. When he loses that human element, he goes crazy and takes over the world. So really what that shows is that it's the whole nature versus nurture where you're, where you're raised determines how you use that, that power. It shows that Injustice is a big bollocks. There's no way that would happen. If Superman lost Lois Lane, he would go to her funeral, he would mourn it, he would be very sad, and he would go out and he would save people, you know, in her memory, because that's who uh, he is. I will say, you're right on that, because there was a storyline. Uh, so incorruptible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, a little while ago, DC has a, a, that massive online game, DC Universe Online. They did a comic book series for it. Lois Lane dies in that, spoiler alert. And guess what? He doesn't, like, turn into Injustice Superman. Yeah, he goes off and broods a little bit like Zack Snyder Superman does. He, he comes back and is still ultimately Superman. I, I'm tired of evil Superman. I, I thought it was a genius in Red Sun. I think that was a fantastic commentary. Obviously, it wasn't really a commentary on Superman. It was a commentary on some other things. We say we don't want politics in our comic books. I think that's a good idea or a good illustration that you can have social commentary. You can actually have political commentary uh, within your comic books, and the message can be very effective and, and very well received as long as it doesn't overwhelm the story. Because it, it didn't overwhelm Superman, but it used him as a, a method of, of telling the story that well. Even with Red Sun, when you look at the undertones of that book, Superman still that gets back into where Superman was raised because ultimately he still mm -hmm. doesn't think he's doing evil at all. He, no. he, 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 he except he's doing good from the perspective of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. and which is why that storyline is like fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's probably the best thing in my mind Mark Miller's ever done. He's done a lot of great stuff. I really like with Mark Miller. He goes a little too far every once in a while, but when he gets it right, he really nails it. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's a that's a great illustration of why Superman is the greatest hero. It's because exactly. he didn't land in the Soviet. He landed in Kansas. He's American. Parents who 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 only dreamed about being parents to Clark Kent. Yeah, and that's why pro I, going back to my problem with DC. That's why I was so upset when they changed his motto from "Choose Just the American Way" because I'm like, yeah, okay, so Superman is a global hero. That, that's like every single member of the Justice League. But the issue is, is that, yeah, he, he was a hero, but to quote Zack Snyder and Man of Steel, I grew up in Kansas, General. I'm about as American as you can get. That was like one of the best lines in that movie because ultimately it said, yeah, Superman is, is an American superhero that protects the world. That's the whole thing. Well, even outside of comics, Superman is Americana. He's apple pie. He's Main Street. You know what I mean? He was made by two Americans. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, well, it just the uh, the way that he's a part of the the culture now. So, yeah. man, is is American icon. 
and it's, it's one of the best things that we can export to, to other people and show them what, we, what we're made of. Exactly. And what's kind of interesting is, uh, speaking of exporting, so recently, a little while ago, I watched a movie called Guardians. It's a Russian Avengers movie. And the funny part about it is I looked into it and, like, it didn't take off. It had all these plans for sequels. It didn't, like, take off. It, it did, like, comics for it. It didn't, like, work out. And when asked why, the director said, well, yeah, because we don't, uh, because America is really the only place where they have that deep comic book culture, besides maybe Japan, but that's mainly manga. But the, the point is that nowhere really in the world do we have this, this part where, like, co comic books or the characters thereof are, like, this in deep in American popular culture. There's a little bit more to it than that. I used to actually, uh, when I was in the military, I, I used to work some Russian uh, mission sets. This is mm -hmm. an interesting people and interesting culture. Mm -hmm. Unless yeah. the Guardians were going to like rule with an iron fist, they probably wouldn't get it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but the, what's funny about, about that one dude transformed into a bear, I'm like, yeah. that had a minigun on his back, and I'm like, what? I saw the, the trailer, it looked great. <laughs> I was yeah. like, this is nuts. It wasn't a bad movie. It, like, was, like, it was very comic booky. okay? It was very yeah. comic. That's a compliment. We have the same thing here in the Philippines. They have their own versions of Superman and Wonder Woman and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But there's there is at one time there was a deep seated comic book culture. You'll see a lot of comic book artists and and, and uh, specifically artists, but some some writers are actually from the Philippines because uh, there used to be a huge comic book culture. Unfortunately, um, the Philippines is kind of a poor country. DC and Marvel don't really have a distribution plan like outside of. I don't know, the US and Canada. So they've out they've priced themselves out of the market, but there are pictures that, that you can see in, in the like 60s and 50s. And and I've been told the stories, you know, by people I know that the the dads on New Comic Book Day, which I believe was a Saturday, they would go down to the pharmacy or the drugstore and they would go buy a copy of every single book of your of, of every secret single comic book that came out that week, and they would just lay them out in their neighborhoods and all the kids would come by and they'd sit there and read all the comic books every day or every Saturday. And they would just kind of put them out there. But unfortunately that's pretty much dead. Yeah, sad. So moving on to a more like upbeat topic, uh, what <laughs> would you say, this is gonna start with a question. What would you say is the best superhero movie? Oh man, so there's, there's a bunch of ways you could tackle that one. Yeah. <laughs> the the biggest experience to me is was Batman because I was oh, yeah. 11 years old and I remember being at like the school lunch table and we had like Batman cards and everyone yeah. was blown away. But as a critic, as somebody that, that's seen the movies, just like on a technical level, I don't know, as a storytelling technically, I think it's either like X-Men 2. X-Men United or yes. or it's Captain America the Winter Soldier. Oh yeah. Those are the two best executed superhero movies. Yeah, yeah. For the longest time, up until like I'd say Spider-Man No Way Home, Captain America 2 was like my absolute favorite movie because uh, for one thing, I did not see the uh, the reveal coming when it's like Shield is actually Hydra the whole time. And when you see they built up how like into everything shield is and then when you find out they're all bad guys i'm like wait what if fundamentally i, changed... I like that it, uh, I'm it, sorry, go ahead. it took a the comic book movie apparatus side of whatever and, and told a, a political thriller 
It was fantastic. Yeah, exactly. They had, you know, there's the Russo brothers on there and everything. I was like, okay, so you're redefining about what a comic book movie can be. And yeah. I like the idea of that, that it's so exciting that you can go outside uh, of what you believe the confines are and you can tell these really cool, smart stories. Unfortunately, Guardians of the Galaxy ended up dumbing down the entire MCU. Mm -hmm. We're all suffering that to this day. Yeah, exactly. That movie was so successful and the humor has just somehow permeated the entire MCU. But, man, the Winter Soldier is fantastic. Yeah, I think that started the whole uh, the whole trend that, like, particularly in the MCU, where like movies are, where these movies become like blank, but with superheroes. Like, Ant Man was a heist movie, but with superheroes. Captain America was a spy thriller, but with superheroes. Captain America One, a war movie, but with superheroes. Yeah, I like the idea of that. Unfortunately, they've gotten a little too formulaic after that. Yeah. Uh, it's working for him, I guess. He's still making money. Spider-Man No Way Home certainly worked. It feels like mm -hmm. that was a like the next step to, you know, we're incorporating the multiverse. We'll see what happens with Doctor Strange, but it could be expanding their horizons. I think we're going to see a lot of cameos for a while. I've always said that, like, when both sides announced that they were going to do the multiverse, I'm like, okay, you have to do this very carefully because, yeah, us, we understand where the multiverse is, but the average movie-going audience, you have to make it so it's not too confusing to everyone, because even I'm tri tripped up by, like, all this different multiverse stuff in the comic books. I'll be honest, as a comic book reader, I understand the multiverse, but at this point, I don't like it. When I read yeah. a comic book and they, you know, your opening scene, like what happened with um, Batman Who Laughs is... Mm -hmm. Bruce Wayne's dead. I'm going, well, which multiverse Bruce Wayne is this? Must not be ours. Mm -hmm. No way he's dead. It, it kind of ruins like the big reveals and stuff because you've seen it so many times. Mm -hmm. Well, the Batman Who Last was just overdone completely. I was like, okay, we get it. The, we get the whole, <laughs> you're taking this whole Batman obsession way too far, if you're a DC. <laughs> he was debating my existence for quite a while. I'm glad he's gone. Fun fact, did you know that Dark Knight's Metal was originally supposed to be called Dark Crisis. It was supposed to be a crisis, mm -hmm. but apparently Scott Snyder didn't want to do that. So they were like, okay, we're not going to roll with that. It was a crisis. Certainly it definitely, definitely was a crisis. Whether they want to admit it or not, it was a crisis. Yeah, because whenever you deal with the multiverse possibly being wiped out, it's a crisis. It's a crisis, dude. <laughs> yeah, Wonder Woman had to sacrifice herself at the end of Death Metal to, to restore everything. And all of a sudden, it was the Omniverse, and you had... The multiverse and Elseworlds and whatever, man. Yeah, the problem with the Omniverse is that it doesn't make sense. It's like, everything's canon, but what about the things that blatantly contradict? It's canon. Like, what? Could have happened here, could have happened there. Yeah, I'm like, nah, it's lazy what? Storytelling. It doesn't work. Everything's yeah. canon. I'm like, what? You, these things are confusing enough. Come on, guys. It's now, just... It's, a, it's an idea. It's a mechanism for lazy storytelling, exactly. and it's destroyed your continuity. And I think that's what they were looking for anyway, but I think it's not having the effects that they wanted. It's, it's definitely not. So going back to movies, so let me ask you, what did you think of the Peacemaker finale when the Justice League showed up? Because granted, I haven't been that much of a fan of that series because I'm like, uh, because I found like the swearing a bit much in that show. I doubt that they're trying to make the DC version of Deadpool, but at a certain point, even Deadpool was like more tame than Peacemaker. But then w when I saw the finale, I was like, oh, that's interesting. 
I watched it. I do. We don't really have HBO Max for the Philippines. Mm-hmm. I do have HBO Go, which had Peacemaker. So I watched that show. I enjoy it for what it is. It's it's quintessential James Gunn taking yeah. liberties with characters and whatnot. I think Warner Brothers are stupid for allowing him to put Jason Momoa on there and having Flash confirm that he bangs fish. But hey, they let him do it. It's it's James Gunn. What do you want? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like. See, what do you think he was gonna do? Yeah, I'm like, you put James Gunn characters. <laughs> I'm like, you put James Gunn on a thing, he's gonna turn them all into jokes. That's that. That's just look what yeah. we did the Guardians of the Galaxy. Only I think Guardians of the Galaxy actually turned out a lot better than like say well, Peacemaker. They had more oversight. Point. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't let him do an R-rated film, and they probably had future plans for the team. They're like, no, you can't do everything you want. You can, you can have some fun with it. You can have your 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 gross out jokes in there but you're not going to have as many as you'd like so that was him with with uh, adult supervision peacemaker is james gunn without adult supervision not yeah. surprised. i think what's kind of funny is that in recent years we've had kind of like the two extremes with uh oversight where you have mm-hmm. like james gunn who had too little oversight with like peacemaker excuse me and suicide squad then you have Zack snyder that, that that had oversight to the point where they took his movie away destroyed it and then blamed him on it i don't know man i've watched a lot of Zack snyder movies there's no hope he got to do his made of steel that wasn't super bad it was ultra man that's debate that's debatable that's debatable he's pretty sad in that one it's pretty dark well I took it as can't be saved <laughs> I, I took it as the idea where it was like Okay, so he's showing what would realistically happen if Superman showed up. Because my issue with like Christopher Reeves is that you have this being that like that has the powers of a god. He shows up and says, "I'm here to help you, everyone," and everyone's cool with it. I'm like, "What?" Oh, it's, the movie's made in the '70s. It was a different time. I understand he was trying to make a grittier take. I think he was trying to be Christopher Nolan, but he's not Christopher Nolan, and, and that's that's probably why it blew up in his face. But you know, he did that Guardians movie with the owls. That would suck. The only movie I've really liked from from Zack Snyder is the um, the what is it, Dawn of the Dead? Mm. Interesting enough, written by James Gunn, I believe. Yeah, that was actually a good movie, but yeah. I just, he's not my, he's not my director. Let's put it that way. I love Zack Snyder. Heck, half of the inspiration for this podcast was Zack Snyder's (laughs) Justice League. But anyway. so It's fine. I'm friends with Fatal J. He loves Zack Snyder. I was about to say, um, some of my favorite part of the comics aficionados is when you guys have like live debates on Zack Snyder. It's so good. Arguments. Yeah, (laughs) arguments. This fight, but yeah. Speaking, uh, speaking of Army of Dawn of the Dead, did you see Army of the Dead? So that's the the other Zack Snyder one. Yeah, my wife watched it. She said it wasn't very good, and she really likes zombie stuff. So I just I never got to it. Yeah, it's an acquired. See, here's the thing about Zack Snyder. He he has an acquired taste. Some people like him, some people don't. So mm-hmm. I can understand that. Everyone's allowed to their own opinions. That's why you always say on the podcast, just like what you like. It's fine. Absolutely. There are people who think Wonder Woman 1984 was a good movie, and I'm like, well, you're wrong, but okay. <laughs> that that first Wonder Woman movie was a better version of uh, Captain America, man. That was like the... Yeah. That was a really good superhero movie set in a war. I mean, she's charging the front lines in the trench warfare. She's blo- blocking those bullets with her shield. Like, I got goosebumps. 
And then yeah, it, it like blows my it. mind. It blows my mind that Warner Brothers wanted to get r- rid of the scene when she's charging them those machine guns. It's the best it's one of the best scenes in comic book movie history. Oh, and fun fact. So it recently came out that even P- Patty Jenkins was very like direct about this. The whole last battle with Ares, that wasn't in the original movie. Warner Brothers made her put that yeah. in. This is bad. Yeah, and I'm like, what? Is like, this is a lame reveal. Uh. Because w- what I always thought they should have done is just make it so she finds out there is no Ares and that it's just like mankind is naturally warlike. That would have been so much of a better ending. But no. More, a little more philosophical. Yeah, exactly. I don't. Do you ever see the 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 original Blade ending when they they turn yeah. that one dude into a real blood god? I haven't seen Blade. Like, so <laughs> you ever see Blade? Oh, that's no. a fantastic. That's, oh man, I, that's, I that's the, what launched Marvel. But the mm-hmm. the original, you know, Stephen Dorff is the blood god guy. He ends up becoming the blood god, and originally he turns into this giant red blob of blood. Oh jeez! They have the outtakes. <laughs> they're like. We don't, I don't think people are going to get this. We'll just make his eyes red and he'll say he's the blood god and we'll just let Stephen Dorff do it. Like, yes, that was the better way to go. Ah, <laughs> uh, jeez. That's on the level of Snowflake and Safe Space from Marvel. <laughs> it's like, oh, jeez. It, it didn't look very good. But, man, if you haven't seen Blade and Blade 2, don't watch the third one. But those two movies are fantastic. Game I plan like on checking Polo, them out. Right? On the second one? Yeah. Oh, yes. I plan on... Uh, I'll check those out. I'm the type of guy, so you see, here's the thing with me. I'll go see a movie, and I really don't, and for the most part, I acknowledge, like, the artistry and, like, the the craftsmanship of a film. Like, I'm the type of guy that doesn't think Green Lantern is the worst movie. Yeah, the CGI is kind of iffy, but here's the thing about Green Lantern. You're dealing with a guy whose entire suit is made of energy, and he's doing all these motions, so it is, especially for the time, it's difficult to make that look good. The Green Lantern movie is interesting, and mm-hmm. I will I will say it to this day. I'm shocked that they got Oa good. Like that part is fantastic. Yeah, they the they just why did they go with Hector Hammond? <laughs> it's like that's such I a don't. weird looking character. You were never going to be able to execute that in any type of cool manner. They they cast uh, Sinestro perfectly, like mm-hmm. Mark Strong. The yes. Oa stuff was great. You know, Killwog was was fantastic. It was just uh, the stuff on Earth that that ruined it. Abin Sur is played by Boba Fett, so... <laughs> but what's yeah, interesting, it's, it's good stuff. What they should have done is what they did in the animated movie Green Lantern First Flight, where they just made Sinestro the bad guy. I'm like, come on! Yes. You, yes, you have the bad guy, bad guy. You had it yeah, set up, too, when he's making the, the yellow ring. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you had the perfect actor for it, too. So. Yes, exactly. Missed opportunities. Like, they overthought it. But Hector Hammond is like, the guy with the enormous head that wouldn't fit on a real body. Yeah, yeah, that's the one that's going to really uh, captivate audiences. I'm like, ah, oh, no, 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 no. But what's interesting that is that work. that movie actually has one of the best Green Lantern scenes ever is when he's being attacked by Parallax and he's reciting the oath. And I'm like, like the movie or not, that, that scene was solid. Yeah, they probably, you know, Ryan Reynolds is much a better fit for Deadpool than he was for Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan's I don't know. He's there's a, a gravitas to him that no offense to Ryan Reynolds, he just doesn't really possess. You know, I wouldn't see Ryan Reynolds as being like a, a fighter pilot. They should have just got the Mal from Firefly, the guy that wanted to play yes. Nathan Fillion. He would have been much better. Yeah, he, he here's how he would have been better. He's done him uh, in animation, so I'm like, it, it works. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, I mean, he's not a big name. I guess they wanted a star attached to it, but yeah, sure. a lot of these things do come down to casting. You know, the reason Iron Man is as great as Iron Man is because they literally cast it perfectly. Like you weren't yeah. going to find a better Tony Stark than Robert Downey Jr. And unfortunately, uh, DC kind of missed the mark with with uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, like. Well, at least speaking of casting, say what you want, but I think Henry Cavill is a fantastic Superman. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't have any problem with Henry Cavill. I like the idea of a Superman with a physicality to it. Yeah, like that's the way Superman should be. I like that he was, like he he looked like he could pick up a building. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I, yeah, I, I exactly. enjoyed that that aspect of it. I, I just think um, it was he was just missing a level of optimism. That, you, that, that Superman brings to the DC Universe. I mean, he did have that, like, close to, like, after he came back in, in the Snyder Cut, the Snyder Cut specifically, he, ha he did p uh, possess a certain level of optimism, and he comes back, he's totally positive. So I see where he was going on to, on to that. He was get, getting Superman to that point, which, again, a lot of people had, had a problem where it took, takes him three movies to get to that point. Well, the whole Batman versus Superman cramming in, you know, Dark Knight Returns and Death of Superman mm -hmm. into one film and mm -hmm. you know, the Justice League stuff. But it made a steal. Just they got mom Pa Kent wrong. That's what it was, specifically Pa Kent. You know, I shouldn't save anybody. Well, maybe not. It's like, eh, that's not Pa Kent. Yeah, even good cast. Like Kevin Costner's a good, good, good actor, but they just. I don't know, and he let his dad die, you know, to save his puppy. Like, he's Superman. He can literally, he's faster, or as fast as Flash. He could be over there and back without anyone seeing it. Yeah, exactly. I like this way. I'm a huge fan of the Snyderverse, but when I saw, when I heard Pa Ken say, well, maybe you shouldn't save him, I'm like, uh, that doesn't sit well with me either. I'm like, oh, yeah, geez. Yeah, you're missing the core of the character why he becomes a hero. Superman's whole plan like, is Yeah, that you absolutely have to save him. Yeah. But you can't let people know you're an alien either. <laughs> the whole point of Superman is that he will find a way to save someone. It doesn't matter. It, 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 he's not going th to think of, well, someone could see me. No, he's going to save people. That's the point of Superman. Yeah. Missed opportunities. But the, D the DC extended universe is just kind of messed up. So a little, it's disappointing. Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic to see what they do in Flash. But like, let me ask you this. Do you really think they're going to replace uh, a, a Batman and Superman w w with Supergirl and Batgirl? I find that very hard to believe. I don't find that hard to believe at all. They're doing it really? in the comic books. There's well, supposed yeah. to be synergy. Supposedly, Jim Lee's job is to make sure that there's synergy between the characters, between mediums, between movies, television, and comic books. If that's what they're doing in the movies, they're doing it in the comic books. So that will be synergy. So it, it would kind of make sense. I think it's ridiculous. And it's, uh, you hope somebody with common sense or any type of business sense shows up and says, all right, I appreciate you thinking outside the box. Now let's get back in the DC actual comics box and make a real Justice League first before we decide to, to throw it apart. But I, I believe there's some validity to it. Do I think we'll ever see it on, on the big screen? I hope not. I don't think. Somebody would have to step in and be like, we're not going to sink $400 million into this team because it's a loser. Yeah, Somebody's, exactly. You know, the money person has to step up eventually. But I, I think they probably come up, come up with this idea, and I think they're, they're probably pretty serious about it. 
my issue with it is that okay so, so yeah ultimately when you look at it back a batgirl can't sell and the entire dc lineup like batman can so you're not gonna like complete you're not gonna replace your cash cow it's ignore the superman part you're not gonna replace batman bruce wayne batman sells yeah you can't replace superman either it, oh, yeah. You know, they, they try to make a Birds of Prey TV show on Fox. I remember it in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. Didn't work out either. Batgirl's a, a fantastic character. I like Barbara yeah, Ford. I find, I find her better as Oracle, personally. But mm -hmm. that's a great character. But it's not a leading character within the DC comic universe. If you're going to lead with a female character, it's going to be Wonder Woman. Yes, exactly. And here's the thing. When you think of DC Comics, you think of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. That's why that's part of the reason why they're the Trinity. That's why I find it very hard to believe that, that DC is going to replace two of their, of their title characters. Granted, DC has done a lot of things in recent years that have made me think, oh, that's kind of stupid. But uh, yeah, th th that's why, let me put it this way. The past like couple of years have taught me don't say never because anything could happen. I mean, after all, we were saying the Snyder Cut's never going to be released. But it's like, we all know that happened. But it's like, I'm just not not entirely convinced, particularly the fact that, that the rumor came from Grace Randolph and she's been wrong, like, many, many, many times. So I'm like, uh. I, I, I threw a little validity on it personally, but you know, like you said, never say it can't get worse because the yeah, next day you're going to be proven wrong. Especially by exactly. DC. Exactly. Especially by the current DC. Exactly. <laughs> All right. One final qu question before we wrap up. If you could run DC, in other words, if you were in charge of like running the comic book arm of DC, how would you repair DC? I would break it down probably to just 20 titles total to begin with, mm -hmm. five titles a week for at least, you know, maybe four or five months and see where the interest is and try to grow off of that. I would put somebody, you know, with, with with some pretty good chops. I would try to get somebody like uh, maybe maybe a Dottie Cates or maybe mm -hmm. maybe I could talk Chip Zdarsky being into the Batman guy. I don't think you need a big name creator to do Batman. I think you just need a really good creator, and that will make them a big name. So I wouldn't be so worried about putting the biggest names to like a Chip Zdarsky who has really good quality. I would try to get him on Batman, but I would just I would back up the major characters with the best talent that I could. I would yes. definitely try to get maybe Jeff Johns isn't available. I would find a place for him. Maybe a mini series, you know, with with the Justice Society of America or something like that. But I, I would want to bring in a Peter J. Tomasi. You know, we we've seen him on Superman and Batman, but maybe he's mm -hmm. uh he's got another Green Lantern run on him. His Green Lantern stuff is great too. You know, I'd want to see a Robert Venditti do some Flash some more. Uh, maybe not the biggest save of the world, but Flash is another character that can sell as long as there's really high quality you know, maybe it's time, Joshua Williamson's time to, to be the Superman writer. He's doing good stuff at DC, but I would back up all these major characters with 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 well-respected talents that people trust, and then I would have, like, the secondary characters with, with more upstart stuff. Maybe exactly. I'd put Tom Taylor on, on Wonder Woman. You know, he, he's a big-name character, or writer. He does do bring that. some people to the table, and I think that he maybe he would do some cool stuff with the Wonder Woman. I, I, that I would, would be my absolute priority. That, that, that's a great idea because the way I the way I always saw it 
is that the top tier A-list characters should be like a promotion. In other words, after you prove yourself on like the B tier, C tier, D tier characters, then you can be trusted with like a Superman, a Batman, a Wonder Woman. And what I would do is I would make it so, let's say an author sells. What I would do is that before I put them on the main Superman books, say for instance, I would put them on like the Elseworlds Superman story so that we could see ultimately if they understand the character before we put them within the constraints of a continuity. Because there are plenty of times where I've seen writers who for more or less understand Superman, but they don't get him in the constraints of continuity. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing I would do really is I would, you know, if he's up to it, I would try to bring in like a Marv Wolfman mm -hmm. to be the Superman group editor. Yeah. Work on all the Superman stuff. I would try and bring in someone like, you know, Chuck Dixon might not be in the card because uh, the she was DC, but somebody like a Chuck or maybe a Peter J. Tomasi to come in and be the Batman group editor. And I would pay them a lot of money and I would make it worth their time to oversee these properties and the associated characters that we're, we're setting up and having good, solid continuity that really made it worthwhile for people to invest in not just Batman, but everything associated with Batman because the effects are felt across the line and it felt like it was it was all kind of connected. The same thing with Superman. And that's probably the first place I would invest is in the group editors because I think that's really where a lot of the change would come in, the positive change. But then, yeah, back up the, the titles with the with creators people at least trust to begin with. And then we also need, need, would need probably communication among the, the different group editors. So like what one person is doing is not going to co contradict the other one because that's, the, uh, that's part of the way we get the continuity we have right now. No one communicates. I was talking to Chuck Dixon well, like four months ago, maybe? Maybe mm -hmm. it wasn't quite that long. He was on my channel. He was talking about when he was writing Batman and Denny O'Neill was his group editor. One of the greatest writers of all time. Oh, Highly influential on Batman. And he's a Batman group editor, and he had a meeting with the Superman group editor. And the Superman plan for the for the main title for the next year was for Superman to forget who he was and think he was Batman. Oh, jeez. And the Batman <laughs> group editor was like, no, you can't do that. You're writing Superman. You can't make him Batman. No. So they've had bad ideas even back then, but, but fortunately you had Denny O'Neill there to say, no, no, you're not doing that. Plus, you already had that. It's called the Elseworlds story, Speeding Bullets. You kind of already had that. They wanted to do it mainline continuity back in the in that the That doesn't uh, the work. 90s. The, this isn't the, the the Batman animated series. I think it was Bat Batman, where Superman had to impersonate Batman. That doesn't work. Yeah. Anyone that tries to shoot him is like, boom. What? If you need to have people that that really get the characters to, to say no. Yeah, exactly. And, and plus, you, you also have to have people that actually have the will to say no, because I feel like a lot of yeah. of the authority at DC just won't say no. I'm all for, like, creative freedom, as in the case I'm a, a big fan of Snyder Cut. But the thing is, is that you do have to have, let me put it this way, you have constraints. You can't go completely, completely crazy, because otherwise you get, like, the, the example of, like, Snowflake and Safe Space. I keep saying that because that's like the Batman. most. Yeah, Tom King's Batman. I uh, see. Yeah. Here's the thing. I ne never read Tom King's Batman, but uh, I watched a bunch of YouTube uh, uh, summaries of it, and even I'm like, what? Yeah, go read his uh, "The War of Jokes and Riddles." People high, high, hold it in high esteem. And, you know, it's a, a it's crafted well, but the, in the story itself, it's the early days of of uh, Bruce Wayne as Batman. And there's a war going on between Joker and Riddle 
and Bruce Wayne picks a side and he starts financing. Like, what? Bruce Wayne no. wouldn't do that. No. <laughs> it, it, you're just like, yeah, he just he just doesn't get the character. He wants to do something edgy and and um, mm-hmm. I call it off-putting. I, I think he he thinks it's it's groundbreaking, but really it's just character breaking. My issues with Tom King stem from Heroes in Crisis. And I know that's your favorite story right there. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm like, what? Because yeah. let me put this way, Wally West was my Flash. Again, Justice League Unlimited. So I'm like, what are you doing to Wally? You're making yeah, him that, in That was a rough Wally. one. I'm like, Ugh. Tough pill to swallow on that one. He's like, I'm like, I'm so glad that, I think it was Joshua Williamson who like said, no, wasn't Wally all of a sudden turned evil or something like that. He was being... Con- it was being like influenced by like the evil speed force, by by uh, reverse flash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, exactly at least it did issue. something. At least it did something. But anyway, I, I agree that we need to have like some constraints ultimately because otherwise we we get incidents like Tom King Batman. <laughs> yeah. So. So ultimately, what we're saying is that we r- want to run DC Comics. And I think, we, like this way, we do a better job than whoever is running DC right now. I think I would do a better job. I, you know, I don't know. I've done a lot of management stuff when I was in the military. I, got, I think I could probably hate it. But they'd have to pay me a lot of money to deal with all that. That's true. That's true. All right. We'll, well back it up. That's going to wrap it up for, for this one, everyone. Hope you guys enjoyed the, the stellar interview. Wes, it was a pleasure talking to you. You're always welcome on the show. And w- well, I do appreciate it, Jade. Really appreciate the invite. Love talking comic books. Love talking mm-hmm. DC comics. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate this. And definitely look forward to talking about comic books with you again. Yeah, yeah. Where can everyone find you, bro? I am on YouTube at Thinking Critical YouTube. If you type in Thinking Critical Comics, yeah. I, I should come up. Been around for about three years now. Got mm-hmm. too many videos out there. <laughs> but uh, you know, try to do the best I can talking about comic books and uh, try to point out the best comics, the worst comic books, and kind of break it all down and, and have a good time. But I'm, j- I'm really sarcastic. If you don't like sarcasm, I might not be your YouTuber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So that's why I watch you. So that's <laughs> <laughs> If you want. That. Yeah, if you want to hear lots of rants about Tom King, he's your guy. I am your guy. I'm being <laughs> right. by Michael Bendis. Yeah, oh, jeez. I've gone on my own uh, Bendis rants, bro. But it's, especially his Justice League run. I'm like, uh... You know it's bad? Right. When at the end of his run, they're just killing the Justice League. So there you go. Might as well. Yeah, might as well. They're just, just, dead. Just wipe them out. <laughs> All right, everyone. Um, hope you guys have a great weekend, and I will see you in, in next week. Stay at work, everyone. Bye-bye.